Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that roams through the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories with David Cabell, including a data breach by Uber and an Australian first biofuel demonstration facility in New South Wales. We discuss a new report on a practical look at the future of how we get around. It was launched this month at the Intelligent Transport Services World Conference in Montreal. Last week, we road tested a practical, well priced, medium sized SUV, the Honda CRV. This week, it is a prestige medium-sized SUV, the Lexus NX300. Is it worth the extra money? And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a comic look at stories including the decline of good old boys racing in the USA and what does it mean to Australia's V8 supercar series. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. The whole program is podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Recently, Uber revealed that in 2016, the company experienced a massive data breach resulting in the theft of information of about 57 million users and drivers worldwide. Instead of disclosing the incident when it was discovered, the company decided to pay a ransom of $100,000 to delete the stolen data. Data privacy regulators in the US, UK and Europe have all announced plans to investigate, and lawsuits have already been filed in a number of US states including California, Illinois and Washington for failure to notify those affected within an appropriate amount of time. Uber kept the breach secret for over a year. Laws will be introduced in Australia next February, which will force organisations to contact victims and report data theft to the Australian Privacy Commissioner. Uber has apologised for the incident, but the breach could have serious implications for other companies and digital service providers. Europe is experiencing a turning point when it comes to the regulation of personal data. The EU's General Data Protection Regulation comes into force next year and its impact on companies that process personal data will be substantial. Many privacy lawmakers will be looking very closely at the Uber incident, which is likely to adversely affect the value of the company. The federal government, through the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, has recently announced $11.9 million in funding for the Australian biofuel company Ethanol Technologies. Ethtech plans to construct a $30 million purpose-built facility in the Hunter Valley, expected to produce 270,000 litres of biofuel per year, with the aim of making the technology available to the commercial market within five years. The company is seeking to make advanced biofuels a viable option to support the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, particularly in the transport industry, which contributes up to 16% of Australia's total emissions. The global market for biofuels, or ethanol, is in the region of 100 billion litres. But by 2050, the International Energy Agency estimates that demand will increase to over 900 billion litres. 
The latest study on the future of transportation paints an increasingly dim picture for the oil industry, although it suggests that the industry is in no danger of collapse. Instead, big oil will lose its dominance in the transportation sector over a 25-year period, as electric cars and mobility solutions become more popular. Despite oil's demand decline for transportation, the study predicts miles driven in the world's largest automotive markets will actually increase thanks to new services. According to the report, the majority of more than 1 billion vehicles on the world's roads in 2040 will still likely feature an internal combustion engine. But cars powered solely by gasoline or diesel will see a major decline. The report claims that less than 50% of new cars sold in 2031 will solely feature an internal combustion engine as hybrids of all varieties increase in popularity to meet stringent emission limits. Even with lessened demand for fossil fuel powered cars, the study predicts total oil demand will actually increase from 98 billion barrels per day to 115 million barrels per day by 2040. However, the industry's dominance in the automotive sector will start to diminish due to stricter fuel economy regulations and laws that limit carbon dioxide emissions. Jamie Wincup has won an unprecedented seventh supercars title after Scott McLaughlin's championship dream turned into a nightmare at the last race of the season. McLaughlin squandered a 78-point series lead and pole position after three penalties during the 250km race in Newcastle. His first penalty was for speeding as he entered pit lane early in the race. He then drew a 15-second penalty on the 47th lap and a third penalty with just three laps remaining. We are all aware of the rise of the US electric car manufacturer Tesla, but Tesla has a competitor in the form of electric car startup Faraday Future. Faraday Future is controlled by Chinese billionaire Jia Yuting, who once boasted he would leapfrog Tesla in launching an electric supercar. However, Yuting faces a new hurdle as the company struggles to finalise funding of $500 million. Part of the company's problem with fundraising is an inability to get Chinese regulators to approve transfers of money out of the country. Faraday made global waves two years ago when it unveiled a 1,000 horsepower prototype that looked like a Batmobile. Yuting planned to erect a $1 billion production plant in the Nevada desert and create 4,500 manufacturing jobs, but work on the plant has stopped. Meanwhile, Tesla has problems of its own as it continues to burn through cash and will need to finalise new funding in the near future. The National Broadband Network is planning a trial of extending its fire-to-the-premise and fibre-to-the-node networks to transport infrastructure sites. According to the NBN, the purpose is to supply telecommunication services in connection with transport infrastructure. The only actual transport product mentioned in the press release relates to traffic lights. The fibre-to-the-traffic-light device, or as the NBN calls it, a network termination device, is in the form of a small, pluggable transceiver. Time will tell if we get more efficient traffic light sequencing as a result of this innovation. And that has been the news.
With the recent wave of euphoria about autonomous cars, many people have imagined, indeed verging on fantasies, about the potential for motoring utopia. Chauffeur-style travel for all your needs. Of course, it's not that simple. The international consulting firm WSP, who were formerly WSP Parsons Brinkerhoff, have just published a white paper titled New Mobility Now, A Practical Guide. It was launched at the ITS World Conference in 2017 in Montreal. Scott Benjamin is WSP's Technical Director for Intelligent Transport in Australia and New Zealand and had a big hand in the report, and he has been travelling the world talking about its implications. Scott, who's been on the program before, joins us on the line now. Scott, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. Glad to join you. I noticed in the covering introduction to it, it was mentioned that, of course, we have to address the fact that new technologies will be applied differently in different areas. It's just not a one-size-fits-all, is it? No, ab- absolutely. Look, everyone's at a at a different point with, you know, as we always are globally with transport. We say it's a derived demand, but obviously that's one view or one, one consideration of transport. What we're seeing is uh, real shifts and significant shifts in some of the development of cities, societal needs and wants, including access to technology, which is changing people's opinions on what they then might expect out of their transport systems. So it's not just a case of automating or even roboticising, if you like, what we do at the moment. It could change patterns and have a very broad impact. Absolutely. We we actually think that, you know, the, the opportunity with shared mobility is far greater in term, terms of bringing around a shift in pattern and use of our transport networks than what we would expect from automated vehicles. Look, uh, certainly there's some great opportunities with connected and automated vehicles, safety benefits, but, you know, the other societal opportunities uh, in terms of... Uh, lowering congestion and giving better access to communities that perhaps haven't had you know as good access to transport options as before is is really substantial so much more than than automation you have five areas you're looking at one of which was autonomous but there's others as well isn't there yeah, absolutely. So we described it as five pillars or, or really four key factors that have been considered globally. And, and this is perhaps not unique. And I, I can remember the, uh, the the chairman from Ertico commenting on these four main four factors at the opening of the World Congress in Bordeaux a couple of years ago to say that our future will be connected, automated, shared and electric. And really, those are the very much the same four elements that we're talking about in our report. But the fifth one, which is really key to us and is becoming clearer over time, is the business model. So really, this is the fifth pillar, is the key thing that holds all this together, that at times, you know, we could probably think of many occasions that we've seen great technical advancements or shifts and needs in society, but without appropriate business models. Uh, and that would be supported with legislation, standards, uh, and a whole range of other supporting apparatus. But without the business models to drive this, we won't recognise these opportunities as clearly as, as what we we would uh, have in the past. So there's a big shift there to uh, opportunity with private sector and a big shift in terms of government and its role as an enabler into the future. Well, you see, business will take up technology, but they may do it in a way 
that we don't expect or ultimately may not have the ultimate community benefits that we may like. So we have to understand business models for knowing what directions that may push us in, but also good business models to try and facilitate the best directions. Is that the sort of issues you've addressed? Yeah, exactly. It's something that we describe, look, in the the very end of the report as as the springboard. We talk about there being a, a roadmap at the very end of the report, which is to bring you through sort of a, a journey of firstly questioning your your need and ultimately uh, what you want to uh, achieve by considering these factors. Go through and understand the appetite you have for change within the organisations that are involved thinking about how to collaborate and adapt. So adapt what you already have, but finally and consciously to look for springboards, which is perhaps a problem that encapsulates something for that group or of organisations, or it could be a, a local government area, a problem that encapsulates a lot of the issues you're dealing with and seek to find a solution to solve that one problem. Scott, uh, that's been very helpful and I really appreciate your time and uh, I appreciate the whole report. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, David. You're listening to Overdrive. You may find occasionally that a motoring journalist writes the expression, this car is worth the extra money. That's very easy for us to say because we're probably never going to buy it anyway. And the notion of whether 1000 5000 10 or 20 or more $1,000 is worth the extra money totally depends on how much that extra money means to you. Now, last week we road-tested the medium-sized SUV, the Honda CRV. This week it's another medium-sized SUV, the Lexus NX, more particularly the NX300, we had the F Sport. The Honda starts at about $30,000, $31,000. The Lexus starts at about $55,000. Errol and I have had a pedal of the Lexus, and of course the Honda as well, as you heard last week. And Errol joins me again, this time discuss something a little bit more up market. Errol, when you got in the car, did you feel some extra value or for that money? It was the smell of the leather, David. <laughs> what, was stronger than the Honda? I mean, that can have leather too. <laughs> Inside. Now, the dash. The dash looks like it's been significantly designed, uh, particularly the centre console. Were you impressed? Yeah, I, I found the, um, the dials are very easy to read, although it's got a sort of portrait mode digital display between them, which is full of you know too much information um but probably the the best part common in other lexus models is the the ultra wide screen display in the in the center for the gps and navigation and all that kind of stuff and it's just so easy to see mm. and you can just you know so easy to read from a from a distance and it just shows you that bit more information just being so wide it's 10 inches uh, in the diagonal measurement mm. as they measure these things, although it is much wider than it is tall, but at least that allows you to divide the screen with things like a map and then the directions that it's giving you. Yeah, yeah. and on top of all of that, you've got a heads-up display, uh, which appears sort of, you know, in your vision ahead of the car, and uh, that's that works quite well too. It shows you your speed and the, the taco and lane, lane keep assist and all that kind of stuff. Lane Keep Assist, I think, is good, but also the taco. You know, if you are going to drive it with some 
exuberance through a twisty section of road. I want the taco, if you want to be looking at that in any way, to be as minimal amount of taking your eyes off the road as possible. Mm. Yeah, it's nice that you can, and it's an, it's optional. You've got a few different modes to show to choose from in the heads-up display. Mm. So, and you can just turn the whole thing off if you if you prefer to to do it old school. Mm. So, just back to the interior. Uh, the inside has that touch of mm, sophistication, elegance, uh, re- reference to a bit of uh, old style elegance. It has an analog it's, clock in the it's middle. Little little things, isn't it, David? <laughs> I'm not sure the 16 year old would understand it, but you know, it... He, he might he might not know how to read it. <laughs> I think he would struggle. The outside look of it. Yes. Does he think it made a statement, Errol? Well, the Lexus grill makes a statement wherever it goes. <laughs> Um, it's big. It is big. It sort of goes from, you know, just underneath the lip of the bonnet to the bottom of the front of the car. <laughs> it's got a um, probably more on the aggressive sort of sporty sort of look to it. Uh, in fact, uh, this NX is Lexus's best-selling car in in its model range. And in fact, it's a mid-size SUV, but it's the smallest SUV Lexus has at this moment. They do have, the, as you say, the bigger RX and LX. Well, that's the Lexus NX 300. It's they used to call it the 200T, which might have been appropriate for the two-liter turbo, which it still is. But they're now calling it the 300, and of course, there's the 300H, which is the hybrid. What's it worth, Errol? It's about, uh, I think it started at about $55,000. Yeah, it's probably about, about yeah, 63 or up on the road um, for what, what we're looking at. Yeah, and, and being a luxury model, you can there's a very long list of features that you can add on, which will obviously climb that price up. Oh, um, gee, they can, they can add a price to it, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. All right, mate. Good to talk to you. We've got uh, quite a few cars coming up. We're looking at some car of the year options with some colleagues, and that means we're swapping cars left, right, and centre. And let's uh, talk some quirky news with Brian coming up soon. No worries, David. See you. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are again at the end of the program, and once more I'm joined by Brian Smithgate. Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Brian. A few one-liners, gentlemen. An ambulance staff was helping a patient and uh, someone got annoyed at it because they had parked temporarily in their driveway, so they left an angry note under the ambulance windscreen wiper. So, uh, gentlemen, how do you think we should deal with this? At least the person acknowledged that in the note that you may be saving lives... Uh, but don't park your van in a stupid place and block my drive. So so there was an acknowledgement there. They were involved in important work, but it was clearly not as important as maintaining sort of uh, property values and, and access in case they wanted to go and get a pizza or something. It's I think it's just a, an example of, of people have perhaps not placing the same priorities in, on society and community as they do on individual rights. It's a bit of a first world problem, isn't it? That the you know an ambulance that potentially might save my life next week was blocking my driveway. You know, at least they have ambulances. But I think the guy that left the note is that he's the same kind of inconsiderate git that won't pull over when an ambulance is trying to get through. Oh, you want to pull over and then jump in behind them to get the, the very quick trip. Uh, I met a mayor one time who believed that people should have a community bank, not for money 
but in terms of what good work should do. So someone comes and knocks on his door and comes in and says, I demand the council do this for me. He'll say, well, what did you volunteer for, you know, when you were younger? And so in this case, I think the same thing applies. So if an ambulance called to this guy, it should park down the road. The guy should have to make his way down there and pay the uh, the meter charge and also then argue with the parking police. I think that would be appropriate. Now, um, the US Navy has apologised after an air crew drew, drew a giant penis over Washington with their fighter jets and the streams they left behind them. Errol, is this something to be condemned or applauded? Oh, well, I think it was just there was just a simple misunderstanding. It was it was just a missile and a couple of bombs. <laughs> yes. Brian, Brian, this is a story you could have told us. What, what's your feeling on this? Look, David, I, I'm not entirely sure that they weren't trying to sky right vote no or vote yes um, in the sky by accident. It was symbolically. Mixed messages. Uh, what it says to me is that these pilots are very skillfully drew something with no respect for the opinions of or the feelings of people below them. I think they're ideal pilots. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just a message for Trump. Of course, he'd think it was <laughs> fake news. <laughs> was big. While on this subject, Delta flight, there was a stranger who offered to have sex while still in the seat without retiring to the toilet with someone she didn't know. And so they may well be uh, had up before the FBI. The Mile High Club, is that sacrosanct or is there should there be some dignity in this at all? Brian? Oh, I'm not sure there's any dignity involved in, in these kind of fumblings on a <laughs> the domestic flight as well. I'm not sure you get the yeah. Mile High Club if you're a domestic traveller. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't. What about you? What do you think, Errol? Well, I was wondering why it was an FBI case. I was, I was wondering, is that because they crossed the threshold crossed, during the act? Maybe they crossed borders. Of, of, yeah. of, of the state border, that is, of course, I refer to. Yeah. Yes, no, I, I, I have uh, no uh, sympathy for it at all. Having flown quite a lot, but never been offered that and never wanting to take it up, I must confess. I, uh, I find no thing to it. Now, a, a little bit more uh, detailed, gentlemen. Let's talk about the NASCAR because I think that we have a parallel here with our V8 supercars. Apparently, the spectators' numbers are declining, and they are. so is their football over there. Errol, you've probably never loved the V8 supercars here, the Australian equivalent of NASCAR. Do you see why it might be declining at this stage? In, in the US, they're comparing it to the NFL games over there. No, no relation to our NFL, of course. Um, and the American NFL games are over three hours long, but there's only 11 minutes of actual time the ball is in play <laughs> during that whole time. And But they still managed to play over 100 commercials in that three-hour slot. Yes. And I think if, you know, if they have a, a similar attitude to NASCAR, um, I'm not surprised that they're losing viewers. People will just be turned off. Uh, Brian, you would think that the decline in NASCAR... Uh, spectator numbers was a sign of uh, society making an improvement, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's exactly right, David. I think we can be hopeful that there's a rise in uh, IQ in the American viewing uh, audience, but I think it's not the case. Uh, I think there's potentially that uh, more people are consuming their sport on telephones and uh, on screens rather than live. Yeah, and, uh, so, uh, and so I think on that's what's on happening. demand, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah so I think America. people are traveling less and, and perhaps even more dumbing it down where they, they don't have to participate in any way other than consuming the images. So I think it's just probably, uh, you know, a further sort of milestone on the way to idiocracy. <laughs> you, you know what the problem is? It's these left-wing, commie, <laughs> latte-sipping, chardonnay socialists. And you know why? The structure of the NFL is one of the purest forms of communism you could possibly imagine. <laughs> they are a fixed number of teams of which you can't get in unless you're invited. They share the profits amongst teams and then they have draft rating system where poorer teams can buy good players and so they try and even it out. If that's not communism, I don't know what is. Therefore, in the world of Trump, it deserves to die. <laughs> I think I think maybe the viewers have just, you know, they've been waiting so long for one of these cars to actually do a right-hand turn. Well, that's what I wondered, Errol. Perhaps if they if they reverse the direction, the crowds would come back because this would be pretty exciting, <laughs> wouldn't it? It's so different now. It's invigorated. I've got a great idea. Let's reverse the direction for half the field. Half. <laughs> uh, er- Errol, there is some sexism in this, isn't there? Well, there is. I I, I wonder if part of the reason they're, they're losing viewers is because they're about to lose one of their, their female draw cards because there's uh, right. a driver by the name of... Danica Patrick, who's a um, uh, the only female IndyCar racer, um, and she's about to retire. A, a, an attractive draw card, you might say. Yeah, in fact, we think there might be some reverse sexism here, that she may have lasted longer than her driving abilities in the car may have uh, warranted. Yeah, well, she, she was only sort of mediocre uh, driver, but uh, she still managed to hang on with a, 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 one of the biggest teams over there. You you know what they've lost? It's happened here in Australia. Back when when we were young, we used to worry about whether Holden or Ford would win Bathurst. Now it doesn't matter. We just follow the personalities. You know, they'll swap from a Holden to a Ford. We've lost the religious fervour of the car that you drive. So you're not following the brand, you're following the driver and that weakens it. Uh, The other thing is I believe NASCAR, like Formula One, has very, very few Afro-Americans in it. So a poor reflection of society at the best of times, not the least. Maybe on those NASCARs, they're, they're adding all those stupid little winglets as well, like they are in F1. Oh, okay. To make the car hideous. <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen, thank you once again for your time. We'll catch you up, in, uh, in hopefully, in a short time in the future. Thanks, David. No worries, David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some of the more unusual stories that were loosely, vaguely, or in some way related to motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Zachary Long and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.